Good afternoon, uh, Adelaide. It's wonderful to be with you here this afternoon on this uh, glorious um, sunny afternoon. Uh, last year's Writers' Week was actually the last event I and I think many people attended before the COVID lockdowns, which for those of us in Melbourne were very long indeed. So it's so wonderful to be back a year later and feel like we can finally um, draw a line under the awfulness of 2020 and move on to hopefully a better year ahead. My name is uh, Eve Rees. I'm a, a writer, a historian and a trans activist. And my pronouns are they, them. I'm delighted to be here speaking to Craig Silby this afternoon about his much anticipated new novel, Honeybee. You'll all know uh, Silby as the author of Jasper Jones, the blockbuster 2009 novel, which was made into a film and a stage play and is widely read in schools and which is now regarded as a modern Australian classic. After keeping his fans waiting for a decade, Sylvie uh, released his follow-up novel, Honey Bee, in late 2020, another coming-of-age novel that's set in contemporary Perth. Before we begin the conversation today, though, I'd like to acknowledge that we're gathering on the stolen lands of the Ghana people whose sovereignty was never ceded. I'd like to pay my respects to Ghana elders past and present. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. And I'd particularly like to extend my respects to any brother boys and sister girls who may be with us today. Just a few housekeeping notes. Um, if you're tweeting or Instagramming, the hashtag is ADLWW. Um, please um, open your wallets generously and support our writers at the book tent after this session. Craig will be doing a signing just nearby. It's obviously been a very hard time for creatives in Australia and it would be wonderful if you could buy up big. Um, and before we dive into Honeybee, I'd also like to flag that the book contains strong themes, including suicide, sexual violence, addiction, family violence and transphobia. And, you know, those themes are likely to come up today just as a heads up for anyone who might be affected by that. So please look after yourself. Now, I think to begin the conversation, Craig is going to do a bit of a reading uh, from Honeybee just to kind of set the flavour of this very powerful novel. Certainly, I think it's a good place to start. Um, but first, I just want to uh, express how grateful I am, how joyful it is to be in a space full of readers, uh, to see you all. Um, been doing a lot of virtual events where it, sometimes it felt like a series of hostage videos. Um, and so it is really, really uh, deeply wonderful to, to be in a space and to connect with you all. Um, Honeybee is my third novel. Uh, I'm going to offer a, a, a brief reading from it. I think I'll start from the beginning, from chapter one, which is called The End. <laughs> I wasn't cold, but I was shivering when I walked on to the Clayton Road overpass. I wasn't scared either, even when I climbed over the rail. I didn't really feel much of anything. It was late at night and it was quiet. No cars went past. I looked at the road below. It was a long way down. I focused on the spot where I would probably land, between the white line and the brown gravel. I wondered if it would hurt or if I would die straight away. Then I wondered who would find me. Maybe it would be a truck driver or a shift worker. I felt bad for them. I must have been thinking about things for a while because when I looked across to my right, I saw a man down the other end of the overpass. He was smoking a cigarette. I could see the orange end glowing in the dark. And I got nervous. He was probably walking his dog or something. I didn't want him to come closer. I closed my eyes and let go of the rail. But then I realized it would be awful if he saw me do it. I decided to wait. I looked back at the man from under my hoodie and I noticed something that I hadn't seen at first. He was on the other side of the rail too. I wasn't sure what to do. I knew I should call out or say something, but I didn't have the courage. He ashed his cigarette and flicked it. I watched it spin in the air and hit the road below. When I looked back up, the man 
was staring at me. I turned away and I felt like I'd been caught out. And I heard his footsteps walking towards me. He didn't rush. I shuffled across and kept my head down. I thought about falling then and there, but my mind got really crowded and I froze. I flinched when I heard his voice. I'm not here to talk you out of it. I was still looking down. Don't come any closer, I said. Righto. I guessed he was a couple of meters away. Just stay there. I understand. He was calm. I sneaked a look at him. He was old. He had a short grey beard and he wore a dark wool jumper and grey pants. He leaned on the rail and looked down at the road below. He didn't say anything else. I edged further away from him. He didn't move, but it felt like he was following me. I couldn't stop shaking. My teeth were clacking together. My head was still throbbing from before, and there was a high-pitched ringing sound in my ears. I felt so panicked and dizzy that my mind floated outside my body and I could see myself from above. Everything went still and nothing mattered. It was peaceful and silent up there. I watched myself lean forwards and that's when I dropped. I'll leave it there. Um, <laughs> uh, what a cliffhanger. What a cliffhanger. So I suppose there's a, uh, a bit of background or explanation. Uh, Honeybee is about a young trans teenager called Sam Watson, who we meet, as we just met, late one night on a quiet traffic bridge uh, as they climb over the rail with the intention to end their life. And at the other end of the bridge is an old man. His name is Vic, and he's there for the same reasons. And Honeybee is about the relationship that blooms between the two of them after they fortuitously meet. Uh, and despite its very bleak beginnings, it's actually a very hopeful, very optimistic, very life-affirming story. Uh, and it's, it's principally about the importance of, of understanding and acceptance and affirmation and community and love. And I suppose the obvious question, Craig, that you know, might jump into someone's mind hearing that you've written this novel about a trans teen is how did someone like you, as a, as a heterosexual cisgender man, get interested in this topic? And I believe the answer to that lies in a real event. Can you tell us about that? That's right, yeah. It's, I've always been loath to answer that, that question where what, what was the genesis of, a, yeah. of an idea or where did a novel come from, you know, it's, it's because it's not always clear. Sometimes it's quite abstract. Um, sometimes it's a vignette or you feel as though you get given a character. Someone just emerges in your thoughts um, and you can't quite explain uh, why it is it arrested you so much, what, what ignited your interest. However, with Honeybee, it's, it's very clear for me because it does stem from a, from a real event. Uh, the truth is, a few years ago now, uh, my brother was picking up his partner from the Perth airport and driving her home to Fremantle. And as they crossed the Canning Highway overpass, through the corner of his eye, he saw a young person standing on the wrong side of the rail and they were precariously poised. And so he pulled over immediately and he called the police while his partner, whose name is Sam, uh, she got out and approached this young person, largely with the ambition to just distract them while help was on the way. And after he spoke to the police, my brother contacted me and I was at home uh, in the office and I was working, um, but I was immediately connected to this event. I was really worried, I was really heartbroken and uh, I continued to receive updates. And so my sister-in-law spoke to this young person uh, about everything and nothing really um, until they developed a kind of trust and a rapport and this person volunteered the reasons why they were there. And the truth is that they were struggling uh, with issues surrounding their gender identity. They had lost the support of their family and their friends. They'd been kicked out of home uh, and they found themselves in a very anguished and helpless and hopeless place. And 
this is what drove them to, to the bridge that night. And then soon after, the police turned up with an ambulance and they were quite brusque and businesslike. Uh, they grabbed this young person, dragged them over the rails and sort of deposited them in the back of an ambulance. And my sister-in-law wasn't required to give a statement. She was sort of summarily dismissed, you know, and so she just drifted away from the scene and they drove away. And in the following days, we tried to reconnect with this young person. We wanted to check in, offer our support, see how they were and what we could do going forward. However, they had a really common name and we couldn't find them anywhere. And so I was left with quite a curious situation where I had a very real and urgent concern for a very for, for, for somebody who had who was very real and in a very real predicament. However, they existed entirely in my imagination. You know, I never met this person. But I kept thinking about them and I, I couldn't stop. I continued to, to worry about them. And, uh, you know, I have, I've long been an ally to the trans and gender diverse community, a very proud one. However, I knew there was still work for me to do in terms of educating myself uh, about, about uh, the pressures and the threats and the risks and the difficulties faced particularly by younger trans and gender diverse people in Australia. And so I began reading, I began educating myself, I began uh, availing myself of testimonies uh, and I was heartbroken. I was deeply concerned by uh, a lot of what I encountered. Um, many of the statistics uh, that, I, uh, th that I read such as the fact that rates of violence against uh, trans and gender diverse people are disproportionately high. Uh, a a Telethon Institute um, a study revealed that in Western Australia, particularly for, for younger trans and gender diverse people, almost one in two, almost half uh, of people who identify as trans or gender diverse will attempt suicide, almost half. Uh, and, that, and those figures are commensurate with uh, uh, communities elsewhere. Uh, and it struck me as something, it struck me as a crisis, it struck me as something that was uh, uh, worthy of further interrogation. And when faced with things that I don't readily understand, uh, when faced with things that feel abstract to me, my process has always been to want to write about it. Uh, just, to, just, to, just with no greater ambition than to, to clarify things for, for for myself, um, and that was the, I suppose the, the genesis of the story. That mm -hmm. was the moment where I where I knew some, uh, something was going to be developed um, that that was fictional, um, and using that event, I suppose, as a as a template. Yeah. Mm, because obviously that real life event, you know, is very similar to the scene with which the novel opens. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Before we get any further in talking about Sam and the novel, I just wanted to bring up this issue of how we talk about Sam. Because Sam, you know, is assigned, was assigned male at birth, is regarded by other characters in the novel as a teenage boy, but you talk about Sam using she and her. Um, do you want to talk about, you know, why that's so important and why pronouns really matter for trans people? That's right. So, um, as, as Eve just mentioned, um, Sam was assigned uh, male at birth, um, however identifies as female. And so in that respect, um, for, for me, uh, in, in thinking about Sam, in spending a lot of time with Sam, I, I cannot think of Sam as anybody other than uh, she, her. Um, and, uh, you know, it is respectful. Uh, the correct etiquette is to refer to people as uh, their... Uh, their true gender, the, the gender that, I, that they identify with. Um, and uh, it, it gets trickier still, I suppose, when we talk about Sam as Sam. Mm -hmm. And I, that might have been your uh, next question, I suppose. <laughs> um, uh, Sam's journey. Uh, Sam is the name that Sam was given at birth. Um, and uh, despite the fact that, that her name is also Honeybee, a, a nickname, um, it's a a powerful thing for somebody uh, to elect a name, to choose a name that represents who they truly are. And uh, there's a very powerful and profound moment in this novel where Sam 
does just that. And so to refer to somebody as uh, a name that has been, for want of a better term, abandoned, um, uh, it's roundly considered quite disrespectful, uh, particularly when it's willfully done. Um, and so for me to talk about Sam, it's quite, it's quite odd for me to talk about Sam as Sam. Mm -hmm. um, however, uh, in, in the discussions around this novel and in uh, speaking to, to, to readers who may not have a frame of reference, uh, I have to consider the fact that um, uh, th there's no greater context around the book than page one. Yeah. And so I talk about Sam as Sam to allow readers to, to uh, take the journey on their own terms and to, and to uh, discover Sam's journey for themselves. And you talked about doing this sort of deep dive of research into trans and gender diverse experience as part of writing the book. But you mentioned, you know, you're already an ally to begin with. What new things did you learn? What particularly new things did you learn that surprised you about trans experience that you didn't expect to see coming? Right, well, I learned, you know, I was... I think it was the, the, the depth of... Ex, uh, the diversity, I suppose, of experiences. Um, you know, I avail myself of innumerable testimonies. We live in an incredible time where some uh, ferociously brave and inspiring people have volunteered their experiences and their histories uh, and made them publicly available online for people like me to read and appreciate and learn from. Um, but beyond that, uh, connecting with support networks like Transwork of WA and meeting with uh, and interviewing and befriending uh, a, a number of people in the trans and gender diverse community, what struck me most is that everybody has their own journey. Everybody has their own experience, experiences. Uh, everybody faces their own pressures. Uh, everybody experiences uh, manifestations of dysphoria differently. Mm. Um, however, I, I think the thing that maybe surprised me the most and maybe delighted me um, was this notion of trans euphoria. Yeah. Uh, and I found that to be quite a, a, a beautiful thing. This moment of clarity when people who are contending with issues around their, their gender identity, when they are permitted a space or a moment to uh, have their true identity affirmed, whether that's uh, in a space that feels safe or uh, uh, through cultural means like dress or, or amongst people who are allies to experience the opposite of dysphoria, which is uh, just a, a, a true sense of clarity and understanding. Mm. I found that to be very profound and, and that was a, a really beautiful thing for me to, to learn. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's certainly a true experience. I'm very familiar with gender euphoria and there's many beautiful moments of gender euphoria in the book with Sam, you know, exploring dress and things like that. One of the things, one of my pet sort of theories about trans experience is that it holds up a mirror to the weirdness of gender more generally. Um, because, you know, trans people sort of live on the margins of what we think of as normal gender, when they break rules, we sort of see what the rules are and we see how arbitrary and often cruel our ideas of, you know, what masculinity and what femininity should look like. So I'm interested to know if, you know, through researching trans and gender diverse experience and writing this novel, were you at all prompted to think about your own gender? Did learning about gender think, you know, in generally prompt you to think anew about your masculinity? Of course. Yeah. Of course. Um, uh, n not just my masculinity, but my sexuality. Yeah. Uh, what, uh, uh, what, what appreciating the spectrum of gender diversity means in that context. Um, you know, I, uh, I have the uh, great honour of, of now being quite close with a number of people uh, uh, who identify as, as uh, genderqueer or non-binary. Um, and I think I think it's very very interesting. I think it's I think it's uh, uh, a fascinating thing. I, I think a lot of and you will be able to speak to this uh, vastly more articulately than than I. But so much confusion I think around uh, for for people who aren't, maybe aren't across uh, trans issues is this conflation of sex and gender. Mm. 
that they must be binary, that gender is the same as sex, and it just simply isn't the case. It, it cannot be that gender is, uh, in many respects, a cultural construct. And if that is the case, if gender is mutable, changeable, adaptable, uh, from anywhere between gender roles to, to uh, expectations, to the workplace, to what we dress in and, and how we present, then uh, if, if that is the case, then there, there are innumerable possibilities for, for gender. We don't necessarily have to exist uh, at, at polar ends. And, uh, you know, so for me, it was, it was a worthwhile experience to examine uh, what I feel uh, masculinity is mm. or, or how I embody that, uh, how comfortable I am in my own space and my own dress and, and uh, what, what are the pressures, what are the forces that have um, uh, led me to be the person that I am. Um, so that was a... Yeah, it couldn't, it couldn't uh, help but intimately uh, cause me to contest my own choices, I suppose, or, or what felt innate to me, yeah. Yeah. And, of course, the other main character in Honeybee is, in many ways, a very conventional masculine man, That's Vic, right. and, you know, the character that Sam met on the bridge at the start of the novel, and their friendship is really the heart of the plot. And on the surface, it's an unlikely friendship because, you know, Sam is this sort of trans woman in the making and Vic is a pretty kind of unreconstructed Aussie bloke. But he's unfailingly supportive of Sam's gender exploration and interest in wearing feminine clothes. And this actually rang quite true to me, I have to say, because one of the kind of great revelations that being trans has taught me is that you just really can't make assumptions about who's going to be an ally and who isn't. You know, often we have these preconceived ideas about who might be a bit hostile. And what I've found and what I've observed is they're often the biggest, biggest supporters. Um, and then, you know, vice versa. So I'm interested in the genesis of Vic as a character. How did he come to be? And why did you choose him, someone like him, to be Sam's biggest champion? I think initially uh, it was... The, the moment I knew I had a novel mm. was when Vic emerged uh, in my thoughts as a very contrasting figure for Sam uh, to, to meet at, at that moment. The, the, the two of them are so different in so many respects uh, that, that I knew those differences would, would be enough meat uh, to to build a novel around, you know it's it's interesting it's because we examine a masculinity a lot in this novel, uh, and for Sam, masculinity is quite often seen as a threat. It's something to be feared, and it works as something as of an antagonist mm -hmm. in in the novel, um, and in Vic. And so we see a kind of panoply of masculinity in, in, in Honeybee. And in Vic, I think we see a representation of, I think, kind of some of those virtuous elements of traditional mm. masculinity. Um, you know, Vic is a protector, he's a provider, he's very consistent. I'm certainly not suggesting that these virtues can't be embodied by, uh, by femininity. I'm just talking about a traditional sense of, of masculinity here. But Vic... Uh, kind of lives his life according to this... Uh, it's almost codified by a set of, of moral laws that he attends to uh, before any want or desire. Um, you know, he's a, he's a character of great integrity. But he's not without his flaws. Um, we actually learn a lot about Vic. So Vic is a widower. He's a returned serviceman. Uh, and uh, Vic's wife, Edie died many years before, and he's still heartbroken. Um, you know, he describes his world as falling apart when, when Edie, his wife, departed. Um, and we learn a lot about Vic through Edie's diaries. Sam discovers Edie's di diary entries, and she learns a lot, actually, about womanhood and, uh, uh, and what it is to be an adult. It's, it's in, in these diaries, it's actually... Uh, uh, very clarifying moment for Sam. However, we learn a lot about Vic. In these diaries, Edie describes her husband Vic as being a rock. And it's certainly true in the sense that he's very present, he's very strong, uh, and he's sort of always there. But there's an impermeability to Vic as well. 
Vic suffers in silence. He doesn't communicate. And you get the sense in these diaries that Vic just want, uh, that Edie just wants to shake Vic and uh, allow him the space to emote, to tell her how he's really feeling. Uh, but he just can't. And, and he suffers alone. And I think something that's very interesting about the relationship between Sam and Vic is that Sam is a safe space for Vic mm. to uh, confess, to confide, uh, to emote, to communicate, to express himself, um, and to finally offer a semblance of redemption. You know, it's a really beautiful relationship that the two of them have. And so they, they, they're contrasting figures, but they are bonded by their suffering and that bond changes them. Mm. Yeah. It did strike me um, rereading Jasper Jones against Honeybee that it could be said that masculinity is the kind of central theme in a way of those two novels, something that unites them. Um, you know, in both novels there's a very strong concern, well, there's a strong presence of sort of toxic violent, misogynist masculinity and a kind of struggle to be a good man, to think through what that might look like. Would you, would you agree that that's a central preoccupation of your writing? And if so, I mean, you were obviously struggling with toxic masculinity a lot in Australia at the moment, um, particularly, you know, with revelations about sexual violence in Parliament um, recent weeks. Do you think fiction has a role to play in kind of shining a light on um, masculinity in Australian culture and, you know, in, in productive ways to help us understand it better? Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, oh, we, we, uh, undoubtedly. Uh, you, you're, you're right. I think we're heading for a reckoning mm. and uh, these elements need to be discussed. They need to... I think the light needs to be shone on the dark. And we need to have these conversations, difficult as they are. Mm. And I think novels, I think fiction, uh, is an amazing vehicle for that. Because when we open a novel and when we lend a story the authority of our imagination and our soul, we, it's a humbling act. We leave our own identities behind and we adopt any number of avatars. And in doing so, we leave ourselves open for change and we leave ourselves open uh, to appreciate new ideas. And I think in doing so, we can, we can try to better understand what the world is like for, for other people, other characters. Um, and it gives us perspective and it gives us an opportunity, I suppose, to, uh, to ignite a conversation, um, to, to have a discourse about uh, where we're at more broadly. Um, and so I think, yes, fiction mm. books absolutely have a, have a role to play um, in examining these things. And do you see significant changes in ideas of masculinity in Australia in the sort of 10 years between writing Jasper Jones and Honeybee? I mean, obviously Jasper Jones was set in the 1960s, not in right. the present day. Yeah. But <laughs> um, well, it's difficult to quantify, but I suppose with the events of the last week and, uh, uh, you know, Again, alarming statistics, um, and uh, the if, if we're listening to women particularly, um, it, it's it, it's frightening to consider how far we haven't come yet, and how much work there is to do. Um, so, you know, sadly, I'm <laughs> sadly I'm not too uh, confident that this is the case. I'm hopeful, um, and you know, we're 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 all here. We're talking about it. And uh, I, think, I think that's the most critical thing. When we talk about the politics of sort of representation um, in trans circles, we often use this phrase, you can't be what you can't see. You know, this is this idea that you need to see people like you in art, in culture, to imagine, to realise yourself and imagine what your future could look like. And this has obviously been a problem for trans people and many marginalised groups who haven't been depicted in culture, and if they have, it's in quite pejorative terms. And this is something that, you know, I feel very strongly because it took me to the age of 30 to come out as transgender because when I was growing up, there were no Sam characters in the novels I was reading or the books or the films I was watching. You know, the only trans characters 
were characters that inspired people to vomit in disgust, like in Ace Ventura, the Jim Carrey film, or, you know, characters that were murder victims. And, you know, I think for me and for many people, the trans tipping point of sort of around 2014 and the explosion of trans culture we've seen then has been so important in coming into our identities. And I think, you know, we can say in Australia that Honeybee is a major milestone in this sort of journey because it's, as far as I'm aware, it's the first time that we've had a protagonist of a novel by a leading Australian author where the protagonist is transgender. And this, you know, speaking of changing discourse of masculinity, this means that the youth of today are going to grow up seeing themselves or just generally ideas of gender diversity in our nation's fiction. So I'm interested in, you know, against this backdrop, what are your hopes for this book out in the world, particularly for younger Australians? What, what do you hope it will achieve? I have, I have a few intentions for... I had a few hopes and aspirations yeah. for this novel, I suppose. And you're right, you touched on visibility as mm. being critical. Uh, but I think... And, and you also touched on the type of visibility. And I feel that's what is most important. You know, I'm acutely aware and acknowledge that uh, traditional media representations of trans and gender diverse people have been dominated by cisgender authors and performers. And many of those representations have been harmful mm. and degrading and damaging and reductive, as you mentioned, um, depicting trans women particularly as figures of ridicule or revulsion, uh, went a long way towards guiding public perception, a, a frightening amount. And so with that in mind, my, my first intention in writing this story and having a responsibility uh, uh, to do so respectfully was to do no harm mm. and to do better. And part of that was ensuring uh, that my process was ethical. And so what does that mean? For me, uh, it means first of all acknowledging that those traditional representations have been toxic and damaging. And it also meant acknowledging who I am. The, the simple fact that I don't navigate the world with the same pressures and threats and risks and difficulties as members of the trans and gender diverse community. And acknowledging that this is a privilege that I have and that it is unjust and unfair. And so it meant pledging an allegiance to a movement and a fight to bring things into balance. And so what I wanted to do in writing Honeybee, first, first of all, was to honour that person that night on that bridge. Not to tell their story, because it wasn't mine to tell, but to honour them. I wanted to provide an opportunity, an emotional context through which readers in Australia who, are, who exist outside these, the trans and gender diverse communities, an opportunity to uh, to have an emotional context through which they could better understand the difficulties, what people in the trans and gender diverse communities are emotionally contending with. Um, and so what that required of me was to listen and to learn uh, and to meet with and speak with people in the trans and gender diverse community. Because what was missing principally from uh, those traditional media representations was consultation, were trans voices and... Uh, uh, people as a part of the process and uh, so the ability to connect with, speak with trans and gender diverse people, um, to have the great honour of listening to their experiences and their stories, uh, to have them enthusiastically and, 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 and to be so encouraging about uh, this, this project uh, meant the world to me, um, but also to to volunteer answers to the many, many questions that I had. Um, and in that respect, it was that chorus of voices, it was that communion uh, that built Sam's character and built this story. You know, as it relates to s descriptions of, um, of dysphoria or anything relating to Sam's uh, expressions of identity, uh, nothing is left to my imagination. Everything was informed by reportage and research. And so in that respect, it was that chorus of voices that built this book. But I think my most 
important, or my most pressing ambition for this story was that people in the trans and gender diverse community, particularly younger people, could pick up this book and see themselves represented mm -hmm. and visible and respected and understood and affirmed and galvanised and encouraged and above all, loved. And, you know, the book's been out for four or five months now and I have to say the response has been really extraordinary. I've had the great privilege of hearing from a lot of people uh, in the trans and gender diverse communities, uh, some of whom have told me that uh, the book has articulated an experience that they have found, themselves have found difficult to describe. Uh, people in the trans and gender diverse community are buying this book to give to their families uh, so that they might better understand what they're contending with. Families are buying this book for uh, their children who are uh, contending with issues surrounding their gender identity uh, so that they can see themselves represented in contemporary Australian fiction. Uh, I met a young uh, trans man who has aspirations to be an author uh, who now feels encouraged by the fact, buoyed by the fact that there is an appetite for these stories, that people want to come to them and that he can tell his story and uh, know that there is a respectful audience out there looking for it. Uh, I've heard from booksellers now who uh, have told me that people after reading Honeybee have come in seeking more LGBTQI content, particularly own voices, which is really wonderful. Uh, and I, and I, I, I'm very, very proud of that. And I'm also hearing from a lot of people who want to be better allies and what they can do uh, to, uh, in order to better support uh, our trans and gender diverse communities. Um, and, and so, you know, it's these responses that have meant the world to me and that's, that's my, has been my highest hope for this book. Thank you. Honeybee has, you know, also provoked some conversation about these questions about, you know, own vo voices, storytelling versus other people coming in kind of imaginatively um, recreating a world. And there has been some questions raised about, you know, issues of perhaps, you know, whether this was your story to tell. I'm interested in your thoughts about where these concerns are coming from. Because as you have said in response on several occasions, you know, this is what novelists do. They always write outside their own experience. They always do research and use their imagination um, because otherwise, you know, there'll be very dull novels of people just writing about their own life. Why do you think this book in particular has attracted a lot of kind of debate and concern about who gets to tell which stories when, you know, this is something that happens all the time with novels? I think there's a couple of reasons. Mm. I think, uh, uh, for, for one thing, uh, timing. Mm. Uh, uh, you know, we're, 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 we're reaching a fever pitch, I suppose, in, in terms of uh, discussions about uh, representation and who can tell what stories. Um, and the fact that I think this book is so visible, uh, it's been well supported and a lot of people are coming to it. And so I suppose those two things have, have met. And, you know, I'm, I'm prepared for and excited by a conversation about mm. representation. I don't think it's anything to shy away from. And I want to listen as much as I can. Mm. Uh, and when we're talking about ethical considerations, we're all going to take different things away. We're all going to draw our own lines and what we feel is ethical. And so for me in writing the book, you know, I've, 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 I've mentioned a... a, a a few of the determinations that, that, that I made prior to, to writing it. I think it, it comes down for, to, to four things for, for me um, that I think, that I, for, for me at least, uh, serve as a template for, for uh, a nuanced modern approach that a novelist might take uh, when writing outside their lived experience. For one thing, it's a recognition about uh, where past representations have, have gone wrong and, and have done harm and understanding why, uh, what are the issues surrounding that? Not just around the, the depictions themselves, uh, but, but what went wrong. Second of all is the intention uh, of, of the piece. Why am I writing this? And uh, 
is it is it ultimately to advance uh, a progressive, open, fair discussion, which invites everybody into that discussion? The third thing I think is the process. What steps am I taking to ensure that I'm being as sensitive and respectful and careful and consultative as possible in order to write a story that feels authentic uh, to members of the community that, uh, that, I'm, that I'm writing about. And then finally, it's the execution. Is it a good book? Uh, you know, have, have I achieved that goal and, and is it good enough? Um, and I'm, I can never be the judge of that, you know, uh, it's, it's up for the public to decide. Um, and so I think, I think going forward, um, you know, I think this is a reasonable uh, methodology mm. for, for novelists to take. And if it, if it wasn't for um, the pressure, if it wasn't for the advocacy of members of the trans and gender diverse community, um, you know, I, I feel as though that should, that should exist. Uh, all artists should be uh, uh, exposed to, to challenge and criticism. Um, and, and I think there's, there's, there's got to be uh, an element of conversation around the way that, that, that uh, books are written and, and ideas are progressed. I think it's a really healthy thing. One of the aspects of Honeybee that's also attracted quite a lot of comment is the issue of trauma in the book. I mean, you know, as we've been discussing, no one would deny that trans experience is often traumatic because of the experience of gender dysphoria, but also increased rates, disproportionate rates of suicidality, homelessness, unemployment and violence. Which, you know, just to make clear, is not because being trans is itself a problem, it's because of the stigma and discrimination right. that trans people face. But that said, you know, there is a lot of trauma in Honeybee. You know, Sam has a pretty, pretty tough time, um, you know, experiencing or being exposed to drug addiction, violent crime, sexual assault, parental neglect, homelessness and more. And I think this has raised some eyebrows because one of the kind of damaging transphobic stereotypes that kind of hovers in the atmosphere is that being trans is somehow a consequence of trauma. And I've been hearing some concern that Sam's story could be sort of seen to reinforce the idea that transness is a condition that comes from violence and neglect. So I'm, I'm interested to hear your thoughts about the role trauma plays in the narrative of Honeybee and how that might shape how we understand Sam's story. Right. You know, I see stereotype as being the absence yeah. of research, the absence of understanding, um, and the absence of, of, of work. And so, given that this story uh, was inspired by a person who, from their own admission, came from a place of great volatility and a lack of support, and this is where it led them, and given that these elements were vastly reinforced mm. by a lot of the research that, that I did, not just in reports, not just on the page, but people that I spoke to. Mm. I feel as though it would be dishonest for me uh, to shy away from that and to not present that. However, when you present trauma yeah. as a novelist, you have a responsibility uh, to do so with great respect and responsibility, not to use things as templates to present dramatic moments yeah. but as uh, as a means of trying to better understand uh, a person's behavior and more broader than that where we are socially yeah. also it would be equally dishonest for me not to present the joyful things about yeah. Sam's character, the beautiful things about Sam's character, all those elements that make Sam, Sam. And Sam isn't a product of being, uh, a, you know, a, a transgender person. Yeah. That's part of who Sam is. And it informs a great deal of what puts her under pressure. But that's not her fault. Mm. Um, Sam is a beautiful person. Uh, her greatest aspiration is to be a chef. She wants to be a cook. She was principally raised by Julia Child. 
Um, you know, she, she comes from a, a quite a volatile, unsupportive background uh, with a parent, uh, who, a single parent who you could probably most graciously describe as inconsistent. Um, and in, in that respect, you know, Sam, that informs Sam's behaviour as much as anything else. And so to answer your question, I think in, it's not... If I were to just rely on stereotype or those toxic tropes, mm -hmm. then Sam would not be a fully realised character and this book would be paper thin. Yeah. Um, and it, but I understand the sensitivity. Mm. I understand where it's come from because mm. we've had 30, 40 years of media representations longer that have just focused on that and have just been uh, cheap ploys uh, to e exploit a marginalised group of people. Um, and again, that was the last thing that I wanted to do in, in writing this novel. You mentioned that um, readers of Honeybee have often been keen to learn more um, about trans experience and have been asking for kind of own voices texts. What advice would you give to someone who comes to this novel and it sort of opens a new world for them and they want to learn more about gender diversity? Um, do you have any particular authors you'd recommend? Uh, I'm going to botch the pronunciation of <laughs> Akweki Emezi, is that her name? Yes, I read Pet and The Death of Yvette Ogiji, uh, which is brilliant. Um, you know, uh, Jackson Bird's memoir was just brilliant. Eve Rees has a uh, book coming out <laughs> in a few months' time, uh, which I have not had the uh, pleasure to read just yet, but I hear it's brilliant. We share an editor. Um, so latch onto that. Um, you know, there, there are many, and, and the beautiful thing about having such an engaged uh, readership and such brilliant booksellers is that uh, walking into a bookstore, asking for what you want, desiring it, uh, is uh, a really, really wonderful way to uh, satisfy booksellers, that the appetite is there, but also publishers as well, and so that we can have a, a broader, more visible, more diverse uh, set of books up on there on the shelf. Fantastic. Now, I think we've got about 15 minutes for questions, if anyone is keen to ask Craig anything. I've got the microphone in the centre. I think there's a gentleman coming up there. No. <laughs> no, leaving. Um, <laughs> well, while we're waiting for someone to come up with a question... Sure. Um, I hear rumours there's maybe going to be a TV series based on Honeybee. Is that true? Yes, I can't reveal too much because yes. the ink is not quite dry. Uh, however, it, uh, we've found a producer. Yeah. Uh, our intention is uh, for Honeybee to be a six-part television series. Um, so it's very exciting. Uh, it's very, very early days. But I'm really looking forward to rolling up my sleeves and, and getting stuck into that. Yeah, Fantastic. it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> It's a long way to go, yes, <laughs> unless there are some investors among you. <laughs> Feel free to come forward. I oh. think we've got a question. Um, yeah, hi, Craig. Um, I'm Lee. Um, first of all, very briefly, I wanted to thank you for writing such a beautiful and important book that speaks so closely to me as a trans woman. Um, and I was wondering sort of how you kind of felt about moving from writing Jasper Jones, um, which is a book kind of studying indigenous issues, but not from Jasper's perspective, sort of as a like a um, external kind of exploration, from moving from that to writing Honeybee, which is a much more intimate kind of exploration of social kind of issues, how you felt about that sort of shift in voice. And yeah, thank you, Lee. Um, I think what I wanted to capture principally in, in Honeybee was an emotional experience. I wanted to give people the opportunity to, to try to implicitly understand uh, how it feels, uh, what it means to grapple with your gender identity and what it means to feel threatened, uh, to, to navigate spaces that feel unsafe, to be burdened with that risk. Um, I wanted readers, particularly outside the trans and gender diverse communities, to to have to contend with that. And it felt to me as though the, the best way to do it was by in, inviting people into Sam's thoughts. It's a really intimate book insofar as it kind of almost reads like a diary entry. 
Sam's an interesting character because she's, you know, she has been raised by a volatile narcissist uh, who struggles with addiction issues, who has taught her kid to, uh, to steal to get by, uh, to grift. And Sam has kind of learned this sort of dishonesty. She lies to a lot of people in this book uh, for various reasons. Uh, for various reasons, she's slow to confide. For various reasons, she'll lie to, uh, to potentially not contaminate a relationship. However, Sam never, ever lies to us. Uh, she confides in us. She almost trusts the reader. And so in that respect, we feel very, very close to, to this person. And I think in wanting to elicit that emotional response, in wanting to invite a reader to truly appreciate what it feels like, it had to be Sam's voice guiding us. Uh, and so th those were really the reasons why it, it had to be that way. Thanks, Lee. Another question? Yeah. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, my name's Sue, and I am Craig from the Dwelling Up Book Club. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I know. Dwelling um, Up's advanced that far? We have a yes. book club? Oh, oh, no. Our book club's been going for 25 years. Oh, well, I never um, got my invitation when I was there. <laughs> Um, I did think we actually spoke to your mum when um, we did uh, Jasper Jones. <laughs> um, I'm sure that went really quite well. <laughs> but um, we had, uh, and we, we loved the book and we uh, had a number of questions and you've answered one of them and that was that we wondered whether it was, you wrote it to be a film or a, series, a TV series, but the, you've answered that in a way. Um, but the other question was, whether it, it, at times it felt to us like it needed to be resolved very positively. So many, I mean, Sam has lots of issues and lots of challenges in her life, but at the same time, things seem to fall her way and it resolves so kind of well. Was that intentional to do it that way? I mean, well, I, I mean, I'll, I'll leave the uh, interpretation of the book's ending to its readers. Some people have described it as a fairy tale. Others have described it as quite tragic. And I think the answer is somewhere in the middle. Uh, what I asked myself when I embarked on this novel, thinking about that person on that night in that place, was how do they make it out? How does somebody in that position find their way to a pathway of more optimism and hope, contending with all these difficulties. And part of the answer was support and understanding, acceptance and love. And so that's what I wanted to focus on. And that, that's what had to underpin Sam's journey. Uh, and so she is forever changed by people who come into her life by virtue of meeting Vic and uh, entering his world and encountering people who unconditionally, unabashedly, unreservedly adopt this person, welcome her into their world and accept her for who she truly is. And it's a difficult thing for Sam to contend, to contend with because she's never quite had that. In fact, she's suspicious. She's very slow to trust. These relationships are quite slow to uh, unfurl and, and adapt, you know. A lot of this book is simply about Sam learning to love and accept and appreciate herself, to give herself validation. That, that was the journey she, she had to go on. And it was uh, the those intersections with, with those characters, that quite literally support cast of characters uh, that helps Sam to, to do that. And I think that's true of all of us. The, the, the people who come into our lives that matter the most offer us perspective. They offer us the opportunity to see ourselves in a different way. And one of those characters uh, who's most important uh, in this book is uh, a character called Aggie Mima Duma, who lives a couple of houses down from Vic. Uh, and... You know, Aggie is whip smart, she's charismatic, she's opinionated, she's a brilliant little character and she just loves Sam from the first moment that they meet. Uh, and Sam, uh, and Aggie is also a, a, a geek, 
uh, and you know, uh, unapologetically so. And she loves Dungeons and Dragons. And in Dungeons and Dragons, for those who aren't familiar, you sort of select an avatar, uh, and you build a character sheet around them. And this character will have various uh, uh, strengths and weaknesses, and 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 you, you'll build somebody new. Anyway. Uh, for a gift for Sam, Aggie presents her with a character sheet that represents who she is, with all of Sam's strengths and weaknesses and attributes and, and as they relate back to Dungeons and & Dragons. And for Sam, it's like meeting herself for the first time. It's like truly looking in front of a mirror because her thoughts about herself, her considerations about herself have been so contorted over the years uh, by these toxic elements in her life that it is one of the biggest catalysts for her to change and to accept herself. Um, and so I wanted to focus on what those aspects are that allow us to make positive changes in our life. And, and that's, that's, what, that's the story the book want, wants to tell. Thank you. That Thanks. was great. Thank you. Hi, Craig. Uh, my name's Nicole. Um, I loved your book. Thank you for writing something very off-kilter to the norm, um, especially being part of the LGBT community. I think it doesn't matter what you're going through at the time, but you talk about that feeling of your light bulb moment and having the space to feel that, and that's very important. And yeah, thanks for mentioning it. My biggest question, reading the book, obviously the name honeybee coming, you know, is a very strong theme. Uh, the gender of a bee doesn't matter. A bee is a hive and, you know, we all need to be a part of that hive to make it work. I think that's very strong. Where did the idea of the bee costume um, and the name Honeybee actually come from from you? Thank you so much, Nicole. Um, I, I don't know the answer to that question. I'm so sorry. I'm about <laughs> to disappoint you a great deal. Um, uh, I really like the sound of it. It sounded like such an adorable name for Sam. I didn't know why for the longest time. These are the kind of fears and doubts that a novelist lives with because I did not know uh, <laughs> until I was deep into the book and, and it struck me and I, you know, I won't disclose uh, you know, what, where, where the name comes from. But the principal relationship in this book, the, the most highly pressurised one for Sam, isn't between her and Vic. It's actually between her and her mother. And it was... It was the most pivotal moment in, in Sam's formative years as it relates to Honeybee, the costume, and, and the name. And it was all about acceptance and love. There's something transportive about being in a costume that's out, that exists outside gender, as you say. And for that moment, it was almost a moment of euphoria for Sam being on that stage and just accepted for being a bee. Uh, and... <laughs> Uh, you know, that moment, it was just so... There are a couple of moments on stage in this book that Sam just feels otherworldly and buoyant and blissful, uh, and, and, and that is one of them. Uh, and so I, and as soon as I clung to that, I, I knew how important it was. And when that costume became a metaphor for, for what it meant, I won't ruin it for, for people who maybe intend to read it, um, you know, I, I knew that was the, the nucleus of their relationship and what it would mean in those final scenes to make the selection that she does. Well, thank you very much, and please keep writing. Thank you so much. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. thank you very much for your book, Craig. Uh, my name is Annie, and I was wondering if you've read the book Left Hand of Darkness, the science fiction book, uh, written many years ago by Ursula Le Guin, who challenges um, the tightness of gender in that book by setting it in a world where people become men and women in their own bodies at different times. And um, if that influenced you in, you in any way, if you did read it. Uh, thank you, Annie. I appreciate that. Um, I've got to say, every time I come to a writers' festival, I appreciate how appallingly read I am. <laughs> Uh, I haven't read that, no, but I'm going to take a note. I'm going to read it. I'm very excited. Have you read it, Eve? I've read it. Of course you have. <laughs> and no. it's very good, yeah. <laughs> well, Eve can talk you about it. 
<laughs> we might end there. Um, Craig will, of course, be over near the book tent signing um, books, so please come and say hello to him then. Um, thank you all again for coming, and please join me in thanking Craig and congratulating him on his wonderful novel. Thank you.